0: So I don't think that we would be doing this episode justice if we didn't start off by talking about how we met our guest, Jason Horton, which was through stalking when I um, followed you into a parking lot of a grocery store. Do you remember your reaction when that happened, Jason Horton?
1: I was like, not again, not another stalker (laughs) wanting to get close to me. I was just looking at that picture, actually.
0: It's, we're definitely going to have to put that picture in the show notes. And I'm having like some deja vu. We've obviously talked about this before, but I feel like we talked about it on like some public setting. Like, was it in a video or it must have been discussed on the podcast that I was on for your Friends with Benefits show? Is that show still going?
1: It's without benefits, no benefits. Oh,
0: right, right. True, true.
1: It's unofficially on a hiatus.
0: Okay. That's a really good show. And I was honored to be a guest on that show. That was a lot of fun. You had a lot of interesting guests on that show. And I'm, I thank you for clarifying that it was without benefits because wouldn't want people to think that you and I were friends with benefits.
1: No, no, no. Barely any friendship, never mind the benefits. <laughs> so true. I try to keep the friendship at a minimum. So.
0: <laughs> you must be an intro. Either you're an introvert or I should take that personally as an offense that you don't want to be friends with me. But yes, uh, for the listener's context. Jason Horton and I met because I literally followed his car into the parking lot of a grocery store where he was probably just trying to go about his day and do some grocery shopping and some strange girl pulled up next to him. But that is because we had the exact same car and we were part of something called the Ford Fiesta movement back in 2013. And we quite literally had the exact same car because it wasn't just the model or the year. It was the paint jobs were on it. We both had green, but did yours have that camo on it too, like mine did?
1: No, no camo, but it was a stick, which I, yeah. that I the did stick not shift. want. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. And Jason Robel happened to be in the car with me because we were driving to Jason Robell's home and you guys actually didn't live that far away from each other. You were, I think, in the same neighborhood
2: Glendale, baby. Yep. Ride or die, Glendizzle. I'm in Beverly Hills now in the hills. Oh, wow. Oh, well, Jason, a lot's changed in seven years. Daddy Warbucks, <laughs> huh?
0: And uh, Jason Robel now lives in Boyle Heights. And that was something else I wanted to bring up because Jason Horton posted on his TikTok for his podcast this. I didn't actually tell Jason Robel about this yet. So this is a complete surprise. But you did a little TikTok and probably a Was it a whole episode of your show or like a part of your episode about that Sears building?
1: It originated because it is in my book, some photos of that Sears building. And then I took some video and then retrofitted it recently for TikTok as an experiment for the Ghost Town Pod TikTok. So initially it was just photos for the book.
0: Uh Aha. What did you discover exactly about the Sears building? Was it I have to say the TikTok made me wonder like were you just speculating or do you actually know like ghost stories is it just like a historical thing is it supposed to make people feel creepy? Like I want to know more because I'm super curious about abandoned buildings and that's why I love all the work that you do around this. So what did you learn about that building? For me it's the
1: history of anywhere and the architecture, and of course, understanding businesses like Sears, which was a huge, and an icon, and now it's pretty much on its last leg. So it's a combination of the abandoned, the historic, it's LA-based architecture, and you know, technically, the Sears there, it's a very small part of the, this huge building, is still open for business for how long, I don't know. So it's really 95% vacant or abandoned.
0: Which instantaneously makes it creepy.
1: Yeah. But to say, like, oh, check out this 95% abandoned building doesn't have the same ring. (laughs) (laughs) And people nitpick, but I'm like, listen, stop taking the fun out of it. (laughs) It's so iconic that, you know, Sears and then just, you know, people in that TikTok, which is great, is people kind of regaling their, you know, I used to work there. I went there as a kid. You know, I remember walking by it every day. Somebody said that they got kidnapped from there on the TikTok. Wait, what?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: On your TikTok, someone admitted that they were kidnapped at that exact Sears. And Jason Robel, you realize we're talking about the Sears building down the street.
2: Yeah. So it's literally a five minute drive from my house in Boyle Heights Maybe that's going to invite some stalkers over my home because now I've given people context of where I live. I've actually never gone into that Sears, Jason Horton. I've always been curious to do so because I don't believe I've actually physically gone into a Sears since I was a child growing up in Detroit because we also had like an old Sears with that old cursive font and it was the Sears in Detroit we used to go to was very old school. So I don't think I've been inside of a Sears Roebuck and company since the 90s. I was, however, in a JCPenney in 2011 and picked up some fancy kitchen towels. But uh, yeah, Sears, haven't been in since the 90s. When you were doing that segment, Jason, did you actually physically go into the store? No, the store was closed. And I assume that maybe
1: had been closed, even though there was some kind of current after the fact signage up. But I mean, the majority of the building, as you see in that little video, I mean, there's windows broken out. You know, the old school Sears door handles it's pretty locked up pretty tight but it's clearly vacant or abandoned except for I suppose the Sears because people wanted to let me know they're like no that it's not abandoned it's open and I'm like well it's a huge building and at one point it was the I think the most expensive Sears to run and a small portion and I've been in a Sears and JCPenney's recently and they're really holding on and the fact that you haven't been there, you're part of the problem, is what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> People wonder why, like, what happened. You know, the idea of the mall and the American mall is probably, I would say, it's probably the core of what kind of got me interested in a lot of the things that I talk about now or I try to put out now being mall obsessed. And I think we're all, you know, the age group of being upset. We know, I mean, I grew up with the mall and the culture yeah. of the mall and watching television shows and movies center, you know, take out the mall and movies and TV shows and where you met and, you know, where you would meet people, depending how cool and popular you were or are. It's such a huge part of American culture. That's
0: true. Your entire book. Yeah, it should be basically abandoned in historic malls, not abandoned in historic Los Angeles.
1: Sure. Well, if you foot the bill and take me to all the malls across the United States, I'm happy to do that for you.
0: Maybe it's your second book once this one becomes a huge success. Like I, I really feel like the next one should just specifically be about malls because I would read that. I'm not going to read your current book, but I definitely would read the one about <laughs> malls.
1: Well, my current book is The Bible too. it's a sequel to the Bible. Yeah. So if you're not interested in that, then that's (laughs) that's on you. But it's pretty compelling stuff.
0: (laughs) Well, I love this too, because you're right. Actually, I hadn't really thought about that. That reminds me, speaking of historic Los Angeles, I felt a little sad when the mall in Santa Monica was turned into whatever it's called now. But remember that old mall in Santa Monica that they took down and replaced? Had you spent any time in there? I mean, I'm not a
1: huge West Side guy when it comes to that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I definitely remember, you know, I didn't really take it in the way that I should have.
0: Right. It's like you kind of always thought it was going to be there. And I agree because I probably went in that mall like twice ever. I don't even remember why I was in there. It wasn't a mall that I felt like excited to go into. But now that it's gone... I feel nostalgia because that mall felt very much like the malls that each of us grew up with during our, our childhoods. And I think about how rundown they were, but like kind of ni- in a nice way. And it also makes me think about the, was, was it the third season of Stranger Things that was based around the mall?
1: Yeah. And I think because that check, you know, a show like Stranger Things checks off about a zillion boxes, right? Nostalgia, horror, Comedy, eighties movies, and of course, you know something like the mall. That so you're not it could hit a bunch of demographics. So when people watch it, they're like, "Oh yeah, I used to love going to the mall and hanging out with my friends." So I think people can identify with it and relate super quickly. And that's what's you know great about a show like that,
0: for sure. I mean, when I saw the ads for that season, I was like, "I am in" because they did such a good job of highlighting the fact that it was in this like eighties mall and. For any of us that grew up with that, we remember so many good times. It feels like the innocent time period of our life in so many ways.
1: Well, you'll be happy to know, I give a little mall in the book. I give you a little mall. Okay, good.
0: Then I'll read it.
1: I give you a nice little mall. I give you that <laughs> mall that you're looking for.
0: Which mall in particular? Since It's about Los Angeles. Oh.
1: The Hawthorne Plaza Mall in Hawthorne, California. You know, that has been used for filming like uh, Gone Girl, Fast and Furious westworld a movie called the thinning new world order starring me wow a youtube original hello that's why we were there <laughs> <laughs> in fact we were there f- i was not the star by the way i think the star was
0: yeah what's his name logan paul who was that
1: yeah uh, he's a you know he's a youtube person
0: not to be confused with his uh, his brother, brother who yeah. often uh people do confuse the two of them interesting characters. What's going on? When I went there to film, you
1: know, I just got a call sheet. It's I'm sorry. I'm, I know I'm like Hollywood and this whole thing, but uh
0: and this ties into the theme of your book. It's a historic Los Angeles story. Yeah.
1: And not to brag, but I was number 203 on the call sheet, so I was pretty popular. Pretty, pretty big deal. Yeah. I mean, number 1 is good, but number 203 is great. So uh, going there and I'm going there I was like, "Wait a minute. Is this the Hawthorne Plaza Mall, because you know you got we went in through like a you know some kind of bay door. You're not supposed to be in there there's like security and stuff like that because it's like super dangerous. I mean, it's an, a very abandoned mall. like there's just you know there's escalators that just stop because the the floor has been ripped out. I mean, it's a truly, truly, truly abandoned mall. And when I was there, I was like it was such an a surprise because I would you know getting access to that is is really tough when it comes to like urban exploring and you know, getting access and how dangerous it is and how illegal it is cuz it's trespassing. So the fact that I was there and no one else could understand my excitement and that was is really what kind of put things in motion for me as far as it was the first episode of Ghost Town was that mall? Wow. It really rang some bells and really kind of kicked things off for me for something I was already interested in, but I think being there And being there in a sense that I didn't realize where I was such an iconic place as far as I'm concerned, because it's, you know, it's one of those malls that, you know, people use, but people like, you know, try to get in there and it was was super special. And I think it just had such a huge impact on me that I I kind of almost in a way built a whole podcast and book around it. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's like a pretty defining moment of your career, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. And the movie was a huge hit really great. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, those YouTube originals really made a big splash. So no, but I'm, yeah, I'm, listen, I'm thankful to do anything and I still get residuals. So what's up? I don't care if there's six cents.
0: It sounds like an even, you know, almost as compelling of a time as when we got to be in that segment for Jimmy Kimmel and we all got to go to the... Uh... <laughs> Remember that? I forgot that you were there too. I was looking back. Speaking of old photos, I also have a picture of us in the green room at Jimmy Kimmel when uh, they gathered us all there for that tiny little segment that they did, which I don't even know if they played. I think they did. The Running of the Bulls thing. They played it on air, but I don't think they played it for the audience or something. Right. It was something like we were all sitting in the green room, like not really knowing why we were there and like kind of feeling like we were cool, but they wouldn't even let us like sit in the audience. And then they had that little concert at the end, too. Remember that? Yeah. And we all went to like we went to that restaurant across the like one of those chain restaurants as a group. Do you remember that part? What what's that restaurant called? Chili not Chili's Olive Garden, one of those type of places.
2: Applebee's?
0: No, no, no. It was California Pizza Kitchen. Oh, uh, CPK. You were there for that, right, Jason? You know what though?
1: <laughs> I went right that night, I went to New York Comic Con.
0: Oh, so maybe you ditched us when we went to CPK.
1: Yeah, I went to, I think because I like won some, or I don't know, won something. Do you remember when there was a, a, we had to make, there's a, make a commercial for like a superhero car. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember that? (laughs) For a Ford Fiesta movement? So I made this terrible (laughs) thing, like less work than I put in the majority of my YouTube videos. And I did it at the YouTube space, like parking lot. And I made my car like the Hulk because it was green (laughs) again, like zero. I like I had no and I don't know what I did, but it was like some really dumb joke. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it because I was like, why not? Like, why not kind of lean into it? But I wasn't going to spend a lot of money or put a lot of work into it. And they bought it from me. Like, as a sag commercial. <laughs> I don't know wow. what they did with it, right? But I got like a check for like a few thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. Something I almost threw out because I was like, oh, this has got to be a bill. <laughs> it's got to wow. be a bill. And then myself and a couple of other people, I guess we, from those little commercials, we won some things. So that night, we flew to New York to, and went to zero sleep as you, and sunburn from running that running of the Bulls yes. thing for Jimmy Kimmel, flew to, I mean, it was like a fever dream. We were there for 36 hours. And then I remember going with some like Ford executives to like a bar restaurant. And my history with like, I was like straight edge most of my life and I still pretty much am now. But for uh, that period, I was like, sure, I'll have some, you know, this period I was like dating before that. So, you know, being social, but I, I got so drunk at this thing, and I was asking these Ford executives, I'm not going to say who, I was like, how did you pick some of these people? They're terrible. I was like, they're, they're not funny. They're not interesting. I mean, awful, like awful, awful, awful. I'm not really proud of my, you know, behavior in that sense. And I think if I wasn't, I think it's kind of something I might say, but not in the kind of loud, aggressive way. But the guy, you know, the guys from Ford who were really cool. And I think they knew what I was talking about because sometimes I'm that person. They're like, "Why is this guy, who clearly has no skill in this, there?" So sometimes I'm the guy, and sometimes I'm the guy calling out the guy. Let's say, but person from Ford was like, "You know, everyone's a fan of somebody, and everyone is an audience for somebody, and that's kind of." And I always remember that and then maybe falling face first into a plate of spaghetti or something like that. We went some-
0: <laughs> That's like a really good piece of life advice, though. Like, you know, everyone has a fan.
1: I thought that was really important because I would say at that time, when I think back on like the glory days of especially when it came to YouTube and stuff like that, that time, I say 2013 to 2015 was apex.
0: Oh, yeah. We had it good back then. Like, First of all, the Ford Fiesta movement was like one of the highlights of my YouTube experiences. Would you say the same too? Was it great? Like, come on. When I look back and Jason Robel was part of it too. He wasn't actually officially in the Fiesta movement, but were we dating at that time?
2: Yes. Yes. I was shotgunned to pretty damn near. The only adventure I wasn't a part of was when you went on a road trip to Bonnaroo.
0: Right, which was also one of the best experiences I had.
2: I was tagging along as the co-pilot for most of the adventures, but Bonnaroo was when I was in Atlanta shooting the first season of How to Live to 100.
0: Yeah, not to brag. He's dropping in his own bragging rights hey, there hey, for his television show. Hey, hey. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, gosh, Bonnaroo was my version of your Comic-Con thing, Jason Horton. Uh, where
1: was much better. And I, I, didn't rea- I think I didn't realize how far <laughs> I could push. I've always kind of grown up. It's not even humble, but I'm just so used to not getting anything or getting things <laughs> offered or handed to me, and I always... I don't know if it's like imposter syndrome or whatever people call it now, but I always just had this idea of like a a free bottled water at a meeting. Whoa. I was like, this is- Donuts? Oh my god! Yeah. It's like things like that. So I'm always afraid to push. I was like, oh, I don't want to bother anybody. Although I've been extremely aggressive when it comes to like making things happen. But when it comes to, I'm already driving around this car, but I I think somebody else told me, he's like, no, if you like have a budget for something, ask for that budget. So- after that point, I started asking for uh, lights, equipment. I need to go here. I need, the, I need money to do this. And then I went to San Francisco. And I think I realized about three-fourths of the way in that I wasn't really pushing very hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, because they never really told us that much about what budgets we had. And for the listener, the context is not only did they give us free cars, to there was 100 of us in this program as YouTubers. And it was basically like a big advertisement for Ford. And I was kind of in that same place. But at a certain point, I started to see how far I could push the boundaries. So, I started like figuring out like how could I integrate these advertisements? So, again, for context, every month we had to make at least one video featuring the car, and it also could be very subtle. Like the car barely had to have anything to do with our videos. All of us had credit cards, and so basically, as long as you got permission, you would have like a spending limit. And so every month you got like a certain budget to do whatever you needed to do for your videos. And at one point when I figured it out, I decided to see if I could go skydiving and get that paid for. And so I turned my skydiving adventure into a video. What was the best thing that you did with your budget? Nothing.
1: I didn't do anything (laughs) cool with it. Honestly, like I really didn't. But also the thing is, is that things that I wanted to do and I wasn't super like ambitious with it. Although one thing I did is I had a party at Dave and Buster's, right? And you think, who wouldn't want to go to that, right? It was just something very like kind of easy and close. And I think I had a thing with Dave and Buster's too. So I was kind of double dipping.
0: Like you mean they were like giving you like free tickets or something?
1: They were. Well, yeah, I was doing some kind of thing. I was supposed to do some kind of integration with Dave and Buster's and Ford. So I made both those things happen. So I made money on top of...
0: Wow. But here's the
1: thing is, you'd think, wow, that's really great. I could not find people to come because the only time I could do it was like... 11:30 30 a.m. on a tuesday and people are like i don't want to go to dave and buster
0: i would have gone to that thanks for the invite
1: i'm pretty sure i asked every single person especially people with the ford thing
0: maybe i turned you down and i'm just like but a thing, think i
1: was just real. but i was like yeah it is kind of strange time to do it so i remember i remember doing that but i also they funded a lot of my youtube videos essentially that had nothing to do i won best comedy video
0: Oh, right. I forgot we got prizes at the end. Oh, my
1: God. Because Ford knows comedy, <laughs> if anything. And I made a video that is, again, looking back, was it a great take? No. Like a lot of my videos were not a great take, although I always, the joke was, I believe, was always pointed at myself. But it was, obviously, it's, it's also satire, I guess, but it was 25, I was something like 25 worst ways to. You want to you know those videos? Twenty five worst ways to talk to a woman, something like that,
0: right? And you used to shoot those at YouTube Space and like that one room. Was this part of that series? Remember, they had that like kind of like a restaurant set.
1: Yeah, I think this I actually did at the the shooter and editors and the kind of co producers' house. We just took the money and considered it like the budget because we had like a you know pretty large cast and then we had extra shooters and editors, but also we paid ourselves to to kind of do it. So the budget was so I would kind of like double dip in that sense. So I wasn't really thinking ambitiously like going to Bonnaroo like I should have, but I was thinking like how do I benefit my YouTube channel and also benefit me, I guess financially so in the future I can make more YouTube videos. But that video where you see the car in it for like a second in the beginning like a car pulls up and In fact, that was the one I submitted to them when I actually uploaded the actual video. It did not out of the car at all. And nobody said anything because it didn't make any sense. So I got paid essentially to make that video and it was content and it it fulfilled my thing with Ford. Again, they were not very clear with what we're supposed to do. So I think we were all kind of winging it and I'm sure they were winging it. But it was absolutely like those glory days. People talk their football days back in high school. Two thousand thirteen to two thousand like for me, like fifteen ish were pretty apex because I also like went YouTube London and worked at a YouTube London, which was an amazing experience and just a ton of cool things happening.
0: It was kind of like the heyday for all three of us, Jason Robel too, right? Yeah, I
2: feel like you talk about it being an apex. There was definitely like certainly for me from like twenty seventeen onward, just kind of a slow downturn in the amount of content I was doing on YouTube the algorithm changes. And to be blunt, I think I just kind of got burnt out. I started my channel in 09. And I think by 2017, I just started to decrease the number of videos, the number of things I was putting out. And I don't want to say I've abandoned YouTube, but my, I don't put nearly even close to the amount of content I put out, like you're talking about that heyday and vice versa. We're talking about brand integrations now. It's rare for me now to even get a request for a YouTube brand integration. I mean, it seemed like, you know, Instagram kind of just like went berserker from, say, 2015 onward and, of course, now TikTok. But it's rare these days that I'll work with a brand and they ask me to do a YouTube video. It almost never happens anymore.
1: I've also pretty much... Well, I've abandoned YouTube in one way, but I've also leaned back in in another way. But I... We'll get those requests. And I'm like, have you, I haven't put up a video in a while. The the engagement's not going to be there. So I I literally just ignore all those emails. I was like, I'm not going to make a YouTube, I'm not going to make like a bad YouTube video to promote like some terrible product. Right? (laughs) That's not going to be worth my time and and effort to put it on a a channel just so people like, oh I remember this dude, this dude fell off. Like I, it's like, I'd rather just, I'd rather leave it kind of suspended where it is. And if there's some reason or way or the means, I'll do it. But I started another channel for the podcast. And surprisingly, that does well, in a sense, with very little work. So I've kind of just switched gears on that when it comes to, to YouTube.
2: Kind of looking back on all our careers, I'm curious, Whitney and Jeho, if you have felt, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I'm curious more about how you handle these situations. You know, doing such a variety of brand integrations and working with small, medium, and super large businesses. What kind of navigations did you guys do creatively or emotionally? Say when you were working with, quote, difficult client or someone that maybe you felt super creatively restricted or they were trying to squelch your creative ideas, but yet you had already committed to a project. How did you guys handle that? And if that came up over the years or maybe it was just easy breezy cover girl the whole time, I don't know.
1: For me, it was no, it was always the bigger they are, the more pushback and the pushback it would start off like, hey, guy, you look at. You know, I'm wearing jeans. We're cool. Like, do what you want. <laughs> when it came time to do it, it was like a totally different scenario. And part of my problem is like, I'm, I'm relatively agreeable, but I don't like when it starts off with one thing and ends up in another. And then I get, I don't like to really be challenged because I believe I'm here. I didn't seek you out. It's not like I'm just knocking on, like, Sony was one that I did. And I remember pitching something didn't have any, literally anything. And we pulled up a video, like whatever teleprompter, whatever it was. And then I pointed to the number at the bottom of the video. And then I sat down, and I was like, that's why I know what we're doing. <laughs> so I would kind of play like, I play a little hardball because I just, you know what I mean? I, I just didn't like to be challenged. And I felt like they're also probably justifying their reason for being there. Because if they're not saying, oh, wait, listen, you know, I think you need to kind of do this, then they're probably like, well, what am I even doing here? Are people going to realize that I'm useless and get fired? I mean, I had a thing with Sony and then a thing with Footlocker, which was, it was Dodgeball. It was an interactive video. It was a pretty big interactive video I was doing with Maker and a bunch of other people and that I was writing, and I guess in, and they're like, yeah, it's the only thing is you can't have anybody getting hit with a dodgeball or seeming like they got hit with a dodgeball. Well, what's the point then? It's called dodgeball. It's not, there's no ball and there's nothing to dodge. That's not a game. It's dodgeball. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was really, really difficult. And it's like, you're doing it. And it's like, it doesn't even make much sense.
0: That reminds me of when actually kind of on the recent side, I did a campaign with an alcohol company. and. You couldn't put a beverage to your lips in your content, especially if you were by yourself. I think the only way that you could show alcohol being consumed is if with somebody else was there. And I always thought, wait, so they don't want anyone to be advertised for drinking alone. You know, like it was like a little like, OK, so. it yeah,
1: indicates maybe alcoholism or, you know, having an addiction to alcohol. I, I remember I did one. For like Bud Light, and it was uh, just a lot of cheers in the glasses with somebody else because I was like, I don't know what else I was supposed to do with these. Yeah. Except talk about how great Bud Light is and just cheers. Right. Also, Ford didn't like that either. What? They didn't want you drinking alcohol while you're sitting behind the wheel of their car, which I well, thought that, was
0: very uptight.
1: Makes-
2: <laughs> how extreme. God. Jeez.
0: <laughs> um, so, I mean, this is interesting too for you, Jason Horton. And and I guess for us too, because here we are with the podcast and it's, it's interesting how all three of us were like really like focused on YouTube, you know, back in those heydays and how, you know, at least for Jason Robel and I, like, it's really on the back burner for us. It sounds like it kind of is for you too, Jason Horton. And like, To me, podcasting is so fulfilling and it kind of feels like YouTube used to feel for us. Would you say the same?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, a lot of it's like a lot of the rules are the same and then a lot of the rules are different, which is great because you can, you know, it's all content and distribution. I remember somebody telling me years ago, like that's what it all boils down to. I know people will be like, you know, Connection and whatever the, you know, uh, whatever the you know value and all that kind of stuff. But really, what it comes down to is is content and distribution. When you really boil it down, and that's all this is. So in that way, it's the same, but in a different way. It's in a very upcoming thing. Whereas YouTube was like, yeah, it was still upcoming, but it was you didn't really need to be sold on YouTube. And podcasting is in that same way where it's pretty popular stuff like that. But it's still compared to the amount of YouTube channels compared to podcasts way more YouTube channels, you know, and, but also people generally know how to find a YouTube video, but do they know how to find a podcast? I mean, I'm sure you've maybe had a thing where, you know, you want to get your podcast in front of people, but it's like, well, check it out on Apple. Well, I have Android or I don't know how to use a podcast. And so there's always the, there's different pitfalls because it's still new ish, but it's also the same old thing. It's just like, how do you get what you do in front of the most amount of ears and and eyes, you know, if if there's a video portion of it as
0: possible. And how has that changed for you? How many podcasts have you had, basically? Because you've had Friends Without Benefits. You now have Ghost Town. Do you have another one? I had one
1: before that, that kind of, that I did with Maker, that was kind of produced by Maker Studios. And what was that called? That was called Two White Guys, which again, (laughs) Uh looking back the name, but (laughs) bad... You know what I mean? It was just like a bad, it's just like a, a lot of bad, corny, bad takes. You're trying to be like ironic and it was dumb, but.
0: Who was the other white guy?
1: I did a, uh, with Josh Mattingly, who was in the YouTube world and he was working at, I worked with him at Defy and then he's a producer over at the Fine Brothers and I knew him through comedy and we would interview people and, but a lot of who we'd interview were adult stars. Which was very interesting.
2: Wait, I'm sorry. Adult. You mean adult film stars? Uh, Yeah. Yep. Got Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just wanted to clear that up for the listener. Yeah. Yes.
1: Oh, no. Just actors that were over the age of 21. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it wasn't all that. But it was, you know, like some YouTube people and and such. But it was...
0: Was Trisha interviewed? Do you consider her an adult? I mean, today she kind of is. Like, she's doing OnlyFans. I mean, we all
1: be an OnlyFan (laughs) by the year 2021, right?
0: (laughs) Do you genuinely believe that or is that a joke? Because it kind of feels like it's going in that direction with OnlyFans. Like so many YouTubers and content creators are getting on there now. I
1: just deleted the Ghost Town pod OnlyFans.
0: You're serious? I
1: started one, yeah.
0: Is it just me or is, is OnlyFans mainly pornography or is it other things other than porn?
1: It's mainly, I would say, you know... In some way, I guess called, you know, in some way, sex work, er erotic content, but podcasts have started to use it.
0: Like a Patreon type of alternative?
1: Yeah, but even in a free sense, because I think it's it's just a a kind of a niche way to kind of connect with people, even if it's free, because you got to keep them engaged. And if you're, you know, just so happens, oh, this is totally free. But when I have new merchandise, I mention it here. So in a way, it's kind of Uh, free advertising.
0: So why do you delete it?
1: Because... There was just a lot of, you know, I would send them my ID and this, and they're like, Well, we need IDs from my co host because she's in. And it was just, it became a very complicated thing that I didn't really feel like was worth. I'm really expanding Ghost Town, like in a big way, especially like literally right now. And that way, for me, I wasn't excited about doing it. And the kind of irony of it wasn't important enough to invest a lot of time and energy in, especially right now. So I'd rather just cut it out and then, you know, focus more on the, the couple other things that I have going on right now that kind of revolve around the book, of course, and, and ghost town.
0: Well, tell us more. What do you mean by expanding? And I'm curious.
1: And again, this is like super risky, but I've been really leaning in lately to a site called Facebook. Really? Dot com.
0: Oh, not co, not
1: dot co. Okay. You're it, thinking, please. hey, boomer. What are you doing? <laughs> and I'd be like, very accurate. But what I've realized, and I find myself defending TikTok. I feel like myself defending Facebook, really any site, anyone who kind of poo-poo something. I'm just kind of like, who who are you to, you know, if you don't vibe with it, that's fine. Like there's plenty of that. But because it's not working for you, you've seen the conversations online about TikTok when it comes to podcasting. Oh yeah. People yeah. are. They're making it seem like I'm not using it. I would be very successful on it, but I'm deciding not to use it. I was like, no, you don't understand it. You can't find a way to make it work for you. You haven't given it a shot. So you'd rather say, oh, because they're gonna my China is gonna come and steal my identity, which is very coveted apparently, is your interesting identity is just and then they're doing it on a site which has data breaches and that is literally stealing your data. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I find cool. it that whole thing but for you to poo something cuz you don't get it is extremely narrow-minded. And if you listen, if you got a problem with it, that's totally great, but don't make it seem like because let me tell you something, it's like if somebody told you, "Oh, TikTok will make your audience increase by 10,000%," I guarantee they would use it. I guarantee they'd be like, yeah, okay, trying to take away my data. I don't care. I want that audience. (laughs) right. I don't believe there's, I'm I'm sure there's a percentage that are sincere, but I think for the most part, it's a lot of posturing. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of, if you don't have anything nice to say, oh, I'll find something to say. You know, I get that. You get, you know, very passionate online, but Facebook is something I was like, kind of seeing people using it. And then, you know, I'd be kind of like, "Eh, I don't really care. I'll focus on other things. And then I see people using in a way that, You got me. Like you caught my attention. And when I'm on the other end of it, I know that I want to now be the person on the other side giving you the content for you to get caught up in. Ah. It's like when somebody on a podcast gets me to buy a product, I think that's the best way to know how to sell a product is you being, knowing how it got you and then reverse engineering that whether, you know, in whatever way that is. I know it's not, it's not, it's apple to apples or anything like that, but I feel like that's the best way to know how to get somebody's by you being got.
0: Right. Absolutely. So smart. Probably the best people
1: like that. You'd almost have to, being a criminal in whatever thing is probably the best way to know how to stop a criminal.
0: Exactly. I remember maybe it was like a Ted Bundy video I saw or something. They talked about like, you'd probably know this more than me. I watch a lot of true crime, too. And I one of the things I was watching, they were talking about how there was like a literal guide to being a criminal that I think were police officers using. it, Or was it the other way around where police officers, like a criminal came across this guide that police officers had? Is this ringing any bells?
1: It does sound
0: I think it was a Ted Bundy. Thing. You must have
1: been on Ted Bundy's TikTok. I know you're yeah, talking about content. Exactly.
0: Um, <laughs> you caught me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of this is so interesting and, and I'm continuously intrigued. I love when I stumble into uh, true crime TikTok or like abandoned TikTok. This is a thing on TikTok is people start to use this term like, ooh, I'm on urban mysteries TikTok. And it is interesting how there's all these kind of like categories even though there isn't a literal categorization categorization of TikTok, you'll find all these types of content. And if you engage with it, you'll start to see it more and more often. And some of my favorites that I stumble across every now and then are like people exploring abandoned amusement parks. Are you into that too?
1: I mean, I've tried, trust me, it's like a f- essentially a... F- Part of the reason I went to Berlin, Germany, was to go to this place, Spree Park, that was abandoned. Wow. And I could not get in. Yeah, I could not, for the life of me, get in there. And there was a way that you – normally they had like these little tours and they stopped them. Because it got too dangerous and then you'd have to like sneak in. And I was like, I don't feel like getting caught like in another country, like <laughs> trespassing. And plus there was you know yeah. tons of other great things for me to see and do there. But yeah, and, you know, amusement parks are – I mean, obviously there's just so, – it's like – Like, it's my kink, I guess, right? It's like, it's uh, an abandoned amusement park is my kink. It's like,
0: specifically an amusement park, not just like any abandoned space.
1: Amusement parks, even at its shiniest, are creepy in a way, you know, are weird and they're very ornate and they're very intense. And, you know, think of Disney as the kind of the center of that. It's just a very intense experience. And then when you strip away all the color and you strip away, like, you fade out the smiles and everything like that it's really, you know, anything could become a haunted, you know, any of those places can become a haunted house very easily. Just have them go out of business for about six months and they will, and there's no upkeep and the sun burns it out and people vandalize it. It'll become that haunted house. But the thing with, with TikTok is you have people running around saying, oh, TikTok, that's just people lip syncing songs. right It's such a, it's a very ignorant, uninformed thing. And you don't realize that there's all this, I mean, there's tons of garbage on there and, But there's tons of garbage on everything. And sometimes you are the garbage. Sometimes you are traffic. Like you're stuck in traffic. Well, you're traffic. So what are you complaining about? Because you are also the problem. And that's the same with garbage. Sometimes you are the garbage. And people don't realize a lot of great stuff on there. And even me kind of finding that, like I was really surprised at how late in the game that I found it. But I think I also was conditioned. It's like, it's just comedy or just, you know, they've expanded from lip syncing to humor. And I didn't really go far past it until we started talking on Facebook about doing true crime. I literally just started it up like right then and there.
0: You were already doing really great funny dad. Not funny dad, but I love your theme right now of hey, bud. Yeah. Hey, buds. Jason Robel, have you ever seen any? Like Jason Horton, would you say that's like 100% of the content you do on that channel? Like everything is the hey, bud?
1: For a while, it wasn't that. And it was like really hit or miss. And for me, it's like, uh, I couldn't find a way to really make it to do what I wanted to do without somebody else. I wasn't inspired, nor was I had the ambition to do it. But then I stumbled on just doing a voiceover as the parent. So it has to be a specific kind of video. So it's me voicing (laughs) over content that usually had no audio. And I always start off with, hey, bud. And then it kind of picked up
0: can you, can you do an example? Because I don't think Jason Robel has seen this yet and the listener might not know. Like- I mean, it's
1: usually kids being stupid, like kids that are doing something like, I don't know, it's a kind of like kid fails, but it's me as the, like a parent kind of videoing them and just commenting on their failure. <laughs> it's so it's like, it's like, it's like hey, bud, don't you don't want to. Do, uh, well, you did it. You know, that's like the short version of it.
0: The classic one I think of is it seems like maybe I just keep seeing the same video over and over again, but I kind of suspect you have a ton of clips of the kids. I don't know what it's called, but it's let's just say it. Obstacle course. Yes. At the obstacle course. At what I envi- it's not Chuck E. Cheese, but it's it's like one of those type of places it's like a trampoline
1: gym type.
0: Exactly yeah. <laughs> like a trampoline park. And it's like this spinning obstacle course, and the kids have to duck. And you must have a ton of different videos of that, or do I just keep seeing seeing the same?
1: I wish I had more. Uh, Yeah, I wish. Well, they're really for some reason people really. It's just a really kind of compelling thing.
0: They like to see kids being knocked over, just getting wiped out. (laughs) It's like the America's funniest home video never went away It just moved to tiktok it's
1: very much like that in fact i hosted a show for them that was kind of the youtube adjacent to america's funniest video so i was working with them for a bit it was short-lived but interesting so yeah it's just that it's that same concept it's pretty tame for the most part
0: but it's so relatable because even if you don't have kids like we all know that parent whether it was our parent or our friends who are parents like they're just kind of filming their kids and accidentally see them, or maybe they like kind of careless. Like that's what I wonder is this. Hey bud, is it changed with every, like, are you one dad? Like basically the same dad in all these different scenarios, like when you're saying these lines, or do you envision that you're a different dad each time?
1: Same guy, same okay. guy <laughs> fathered all these children. Cause people, I mean, they're just different. It's a very diverse crew of children too. So, that's part of the joke that it's, I mean, but some people don't get that. Right. They really think, they're like, what kind of parent are you? You shouldn't be there videoing. You should have been doing, they're not realizing, but that's what you want, right? That's what you want.
0: Wait, do people get offended and like accuse you of being a bad dad without realizing that this is all a joke? I mean, it not
1: for the volume of video views, a small amount, but enough, I would say. And I mean, there's millions and millions and millions and millions and hundreds of Plus millions of these or whatever, but I would say a good 5% are, and that's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of wow. people, but I like that. Rea- like it's very real to them. And that's what makes it shareable. And that's what makes it, it's why like a prank, cause it's, it seems real. I mean, you know, all the pranks that have been on YouTube and stuff, the ones that you believe are real and then the ones you know that are just staged just don't hit as hard, but it depends on who the audience member is.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating. I mean, that, I'm continuously amazed by how people react differently to different types of content online. And TikTok is just a fascinating case study of of how people take in content and what they take seriously. And I think it's also a great place to go and experiment because it's kind of the Wild West in a way that other platforms aren't. And there's so much freedom on there. And I wonder if that's part of the reason it feels threatening to people like Donald Trump who take it like it's such a serious thing. But then every once in a while, I wonder like about the privacy concerns and like, are we as users of this platform being studied and like test subjects without fully recognizing it?
1: I feel like you're kind of running into that with any of these sites, right? But there's privacy. I mean, you know, the terms and the privacy, they could pretty much do what they want.
0: But more like the manipulation of it. Like how much are we being manipulated without being fully aware? Yeah. I mean, you could say the same thing with Facebook and it's all one big experiment that us being part of it for so long, especially the three of us at that age range of having access to Facebook so early and then all the things that were unknown about these platforms that are constantly being tweaked to see... How can they make money from us, and how could they manipulate things like the elections? And it's fascinating, but I'm also of of the mindset as you, Jason, where I just don't take it that seriously because,
1: I mean, big picture in the list of things to worry about, if that was the top of the list, I think we'd be in a really good place. But unfortunately, like that's the worst thing in our lives. Isn't oh, is is TikTok seeing what kind of you know movies we like? For me, is not as important as like a lot of the other things that are going on. But in the same way, like I said, there's a room for everybody on TikTok and, you know, like for the people that say, oh, it's just this. It's just because you don't understand. I mean, that's the anyone who doesn't understand what's happening. You just try to shun it. And that goes for anything. People like they're holding on to old values and the way things used to be. It's the same thing. It's you're not willing to open your mind up a little bit to you don't even know what you don't like. Because you don't know what's there for you not to like. So it's that's my thing with TikTok. But even with TikTok, I've just really recently I was like, let me try these like little abandon y things, and they've done really well. So it's something I just didn't think to do. And now just recently in the last couple of TikToks, I've changed it and it's it's upticked it
2: quite a bit, at least, you know, for a small podcast TikTok. I feel like in terms of you know privacy and data harvesting and all these issues. I have nothing to hide, you know what I mean? It's like my whole philosophy is I understand that if we extend this logical argument to the nth degree in terms of our devices eavesdropping on us to not only, you know, fling ads in our face, but ultimately, you know, perhaps certain government agencies trying to figure out if we're doing anything potentially nefarious. I mean, on the one hand, like I'm gonna cop to my beliefs, I'm gonna cop to my political views. You're not gonna whoever's like sort of eavesdropping is not gonna be like, oh, we got something dirty on Jason Robel. Like I'm an open book in that regard. Interesting though, recently about two weeks ago, a good friend of mine got a visit from the FBI. Because she had been posting some content about defunding the police, Black Lives Matter, like really, really, you know, every single day, multiple posts a day. And she got a visitation from the FBI looking to kind of investigate whether or not she was engaged in, quote, domestic terrorism. And so on the one hand, right, like I have this fearlessness of like, I'm open about my beliefs, my political views, my stance on things. But then someone, this is an extremely close friend. I didn't tell you about this, Whitney. I won't name who it is. But yeah, she was posting like, holy shit, I just got a visit from the FBI. They were questioning me about this, that, and the other. And so it is interesting to think about who's watching what we're doing and how they're interpreting what we're posting in the context of our posts. As long as they subscribe, I'm cool with it. As long as they subscribe <laughs> and buys the merch, like I'm cool with it. <laughs> so funny.
0: And Jason Robell, I'm curious, like, what has stopped you from really harnessing the power of TikTok? Because I've been trying to encourage you to get on that platform for months. You and know what I, it is? Every single day I send yep. you a TikTok video to watch.
2: Yep, I'm fu- you're not
0: that into it.
2: No, I'm fucking lazy. I'm fucking lazy. You know what it feels like to me? And perhaps this is a misplaced expectation or fear or hesitation. Is, boy, how do I even phrase this? It's interesting we're bringing up the heyday of YouTube, right? Because I get people like, oh, did you see like so and so blew up on TikTok and they weren't even known before? And there's all this frivolity and happenstance and like, you know, dog and pony show stuff where like this person got signed by WGA and CAA and blah, blah, blah. And I think I'm just, boy. I'm just like, another platform, like, there's a hesitation because I feel like there's a burnout that I've gotten into, especially during COVID, like, slowing down over COVID, we've been kind of mashing the throttle on the podcast, you know, we put out three episodes a week, we're getting some really good momentum, but I don't know, there's just a part of me that, like, I think about putting any effort, like, like substantive, consistent effort toward TikTok, and there's, like, my body is just like, ugh, ugh another fucking platform. I don't know. I feel like there's a part of burnout with me and there's a part of like, I don't know. I feel kind of like creatively uninspired and I know there's massive organic growth and I know it's like get in before the ads take place and then it's pay to play like every other platform, but I don't know. The idea of it feels exhausting to me. I'll be honest. Yeah.
1: I mean, I feel like it it just ebbs in even anything, whether it's even the things that are even successful. Sometimes I'm just kind of like, it's probably existential crisis, I'm sure. And, you know, the idea of kind of trying to live up to those, trying to live up to the 2013, 2015 feeling is hard yeah. to do and very unfair yeah. to do to yourself. But I'm sure everyone from the smallest to the biggest, whatever, probably feels that in some way in their within context. And it's just, yeah, I mean, I, I'm always trying to find that balance, even when things, I mean, when things are going well, I get very excited. But even when things are like good, like they're good, there's no reason to complain. Sometimes I'm just kind of like, what does it matter? <laughs> but I think that's healthy in a sense because then you're not so narrowly focused. Maybe your your body's telling you and your mind's telling you to like, it's okay to not do something. I don't know.
2: But I've also noticed that like, there's a distinct separation between financial motivation and creating for creativity's sake. And I think the three of us, like Whitney, I want to honor that you had a comment, but I don't want to lose this point of like, there's a new platform where maybe it's not necessarily an avenue for monetization yet. And people start jumping on it. Oh, it's the new hot platform, but we haven't really figured out a way to monetize it per se. And I'm curious, like, what the line is, you know, Jason and Whitney of I'm going to create because I'm passionate about creating. And this platform's giving me an avenue to share this creativity versus I need to make money and pay the bills and put food on the table and, you know, have my cocaine habit, whatever. You know, that line between, I'm going to do this thing because I know it's going to make me money versus I just want to funnel my creativity in this new avenue. And there's not really an expectation of monetizing it. So I guess the overarching question is surefire monetization. Maybe I don't really want to do this thing versus I just want to be creative and not really give a fuck about making money at it.
1: I'm somewhere in the middle of that because I get very turned on by metrics and analytics and success. Me too. Money is... Important and the money you can argue depending on you know who or what, but money goes back into the thing to keep the thing going. Whether it's whatever that is, doesn't have to be a podcast, but whether it's advertising or upgrading equipment or whatever. But I get turned on way more by success in what I'm doing and getting the most. It's always been for me is like getting the most amount of people to experience or listen to what I have to offer then it is like, how much money did I make this month? Because the idea that I think making money in a sense is easy, getting a lot of people to take their time when they have so many other options to listen or to view whatever you have is really intoxicating to me, I have to admit. And, and that's why I love analytics and why things work, why things don't work. So much, and that's why social media is so exciting to me because that back end is really fascinating because you can see people's experiences and who's experienced, you know, provided that you're mostly accurate that why are they experiencing this? When are they experiencing it? Who is experiencing it? And why this and not this? And why did this video that took me 10 minutes to make get 4 million views? And this one I spent three days of the YouTube space get 11,000. It's so fascinating, but I feel like the money comes when you have the other thing too. So it's like kind of, I don't know, chicken to the egg or, or whatever, but like success and not money, but success in what I, I'm doing. I mean, I'd rather be the number one podcast and be the number 25th paid podcaster. Cause, because for me, there's just so much more fulfillment in that than having more money in the bank. Nobody can see what's in your bank account, but everyone could see your number one. And this is a real stretch, but That's loosely how I think.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. I think that's part of the draw of TikTok. I mean, for better or for worse, because it's such a different platform where it feels in a lot of ways easier to become successful on there. And maybe we're still in the heyday because YouTube felt like that at a period of time for me. Instagram, every once in a while, would feel. Facebook, I went through stages where Facebook felt so easy. And so like, I remember it, it was effortless almost. And I could p- kind of predict like what posts were going to do well. And I put something out there and I give all these likes and comments and shares. And I just felt so, so enriched by that. And I, I think there's the sense of power that comes with these platforms too. And the worst side of the better for worse equation is that you see a lot of people on TikTok, like get so in their ego or like power hungry. And then like <laughs> I was thinking either it was today or yesterday, how cliche it is, Jason where you go on these and see somebody go quote viral on TikTok which can mean a huge range of numbers and then like their very next post is this cliche hey like so many people found you like welcome to my channel and they like do this little intro and then that video gets like very little views or oh my gosh i'm so grateful for 15,000 followers thank you and they're like doing this celebratory post and that is rampant on TikTok because one simple video can get a million views fairly easy, unlike any other platform. And people get this taste of what that feels like. And now they're obsessed with getting that number again. And some people never experience it again. It's like a one-hit wonder type of scenario.
1: What's really great about TikTok in a sense, could people always ask, like, how do I make TikToks more successful? And they've really created something. I don't know what's going on in their back end. I mean, I've taken meetings there and I've been there and I've discussed this with them. But it really is an algorithm thing where the for you page is everything. Like your followers, do they matter? Yeah, but no. I mean, you could, again, you can have zero followers and get a million views on a TikTok.
0: Literally. Yeah, it happens all the time. And
1: what is great is, is that, you know, you, you can have a consistent amount of views, but, you know, you can have that million view one and the next one could be Theoretically, be six views. People see that and they're like, "Okay, so this is now the new normal." And it's not the new normal. You can literally have a you know a million views your first one and get zero theoretically zero for the rest of your career for the rest of your life. And it is important to kind of because I think the reason probably it went viral is because you weren't make like you weren't planning it to be viral. And and then when you make a video going, "Thank you for fifty thousand followers," it's like that number one. That's not content. It's not interesting. If you say, hey, listen, it's been 50,000 days since I've had my last drink, that's different. But you're really just celebrating something that is the, it's not the reason why people are there. And it's just this idea of like yeah, having to do that or way back on people posting like, so like, what kind of content do you want to see from me? Yeah, I- it's like, <laughs> honestly, like none is the answer. <laughs> I mean, does Leonardo DiCaprio go, "Hey guys, what what kind of movies do you want to see from me? You want to see some action, or you want some like science fiction, or some old timey stuff?" Anyone who's truly, really successful, they just do what they do, and then behind the scenes, they might be like, "Oh, listen, you know, our, you know, our cooking videos been doing really well. Let's lean into that a little bit." But you don't ask people; you give them what you want to give them. And of course, there's always some kind of, behi- you know, I said behind the scenes stuff, but essentially you're giving them what you're giving them and it's for them to kind of take it or leave it. But it's people that kind of ask, unless it's between two, maybe it's between two things. Hey, do you like when I cook breakfast or dinner more? But when you're like, what do you want to see from me? It's never somebody that's like, yeah, I mean, you really want to give your audience what they want. It's somebody that doesn't have the audience in the first place. They just don't know what to post and they feel compelled to post something. They feel mm-hmm. empty without posting. And I've been that person. And I try not to be that person. And I will stop myself from being that person. And sometimes it's very difficult. And, you know, it's like people on any platform, they're like, hey, guys, listen, I need to take a break. So if you don't hear from me, you can just DM me on these 12 different platforms, but I'm going to be off Facebook for a while.
0: And the opposite, when they come back, they're like, hey, I know it's been a long time and I'm sorry for not creating a video in a while.
1: I don't like people that do that, I think are very, it's really, it's the thing to you feel lonely, you feel very disconnected, and you want to connect and seem interesting. And that's why, like, my Facebook, I just pick personal page very so, like, I'll not post for a couple of months and then I'll do something. And at this point, even though the book has just come out, I haven't even really promoted it as much as whatever. Cause one, the climate, I feel a little guilty about like talking about myself, even though I want to. Don't get me wrong, I'm not like humble in that sense, but I just feel like. Sometimes it's been bad taste. That's why I haven't up until the point a book came out. I really didn't talk about it that much. And, and also because like people are like, who cares? But yeah, then they but then they'd be like, yeah, I know I haven't been posting much. I was like seven times a day. I think it's a lot. But to you, it's a little bit. And that's the scary part. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like you posted more in two days than I have in six months. But you're like, hey, I know I've been pretty quiet on here. Or it's like, what did I miss? Or they'll literally take one day off and be like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm back. You know, it was a good break. And I was like, well, you didn't take a break. <laughs> You were probably on it the whole time and you just didn't post one day. It's that seeing that kind of thing. It's, and I think people don't see how transparent they're being. And it, I'm not above that. I am also that person. It's just I'm using all the restraint. Yeah, we have to use restraint. Well, I'm just using all the restraint in the world not to seem vulnerable right now because I don't want Number one, I don't want to bother people. I have this thing. I was like, I don't want to bother you. It's like, Ford, I don't want to bother you to ask you for more money to go to Bonnaroo. You know what I mean? Like, I have this thing where I feel like I'm bothering people. Well, sometimes I know I'm bothering them, but that's intentional. Like, I know I'm bothering them. But for the other times, I try to balance it out by, like, I'm just going to not put any more digital carbon footprint out there of my annoying self. And I go through those things where it's kind of like, it's existential. Who cares? I haven't put an Instagram story up in a while. Nobody cares and nobody needs it. And it's not important.
0: Like they're not sitting around being like, where's Jason's story?
1: If somebody's that close to you, like hopefully they have your phone number and can text you or call you. But the thing is, none of those people have that. Hey guys, listen, if you need to, why would I need to get a hold of you? And if I did, I would get a hold of you, but you're making it seem so dramatic and maybe some connected to a lot of like actors or entertainment types, but people are just like that in general. And the different platforms are dramatic in their own different ways.
0: It was interesting for me, too, when Trump started to threaten banning TikTok and you could see the vulnerability in all these TikTokers because all over TikTok, there were those videos of, hey, if TikTok goes down, follow me on Instagram. And I thought that was so ironic. Oh, yeah, it was everywhere. Everybody was doing it. They were panicking clearly. They were trying to set up their backup plan. But what I found so ironic about that is these very people have been bashing Instagram and saying, like, Instagram's the worst. Like, that's why we're on TikTok, you know? And now that they feel secure in TikTok, they're back to bashing Instagram again. Now that Instagram has Reels, which is like their copy version of TikTok myself included, like I'm incredibly turned off by Instagram reels at at the beginning, at least still a lot to be determined. But it's just been funny how you got to see the truth of the experience there where the very same kind of going back to what you were saying, Jason Horton earlier about bashing something like the very same thing you bash, if something's taken away from you, and that thing that you've been bashing is all you have left, you're back to that. And so you get to see the reality of you were never really bashing something. It's not that you didn't like it. It's just that you had an alternative to it. And so you chose not to depend on something. But if the thing that you've chosen has been taken away, you're going to go to the alternative because that's all you have left.
1: You got to imagine being one of these people that are just say extremely popular in whatever level on something like TikTok and you take that away, then what are they? You know, how they're thinking. And it's totally understandable. I mean, I get, you know, I totally get that. Guys, make sure you follow me on Instagram. When the crossover from anything to anything is never really that great, it's never. But they're just like, all, all, like my TikTok lives notifications. I mean, you know, oh, it shows up I and know. things. It was just like, hey guys, it's, it's end days, it's end times here. Make sure you follow me on Instagram for more stuff. It honestly, it was very panicky, and I understand it, but it probably didn't do that much because the reason they're there is because of a perfect storm of. TikTok and them and the content there happening within the feed of the other people they were following. And it's not the same experience on Instagram. And you may say, well, it's the same video. The experience, it's all about the user experience. And that's why these different things work in different ways. And people don't realize that. And they might be like, "Ah, I don't want to watch those videos on Instagram. On Instagram, I like to see whatever else I like, sketches or whatever I like to see on there. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting. People's it's understandable. You know, you're vulnerable and you feel like you've worked so hard on something and it can be, I mean, TikTok can be like your channel, your TikTok account's done just because we feel like it. And that's their right to do that. And it's a very
2: precarious place to invest literally everything in. This is endemic of the whole digital media culture though, is that, you know, these corporations, these billion or who knows if it's going to get to trillion. I mean, dollar valued companies are, you know, they're the gatekeepers, they're the overlords in the sense that, you know, as you're detailing Jason and Whitney, that depending on how this thing goes with Trump and is TikTok going to get bought by Microsoft or some American company, I mean, as cliche as it is to bring this up, and, and I know they still exist. I know they do, but it's not like it was 15 years ago. You know, MySpace, it's like everyone was putting all their chips in their basket of MySpace 15 years ago, myself included, you know, putting my music out there when I was doing all that. And I remember seeing people like before anybody knew who he was, Macklemore, like, like, who's this guy from Seattle? Who's this white rapper dude from Seattle? But they can pull the plug literally at any moment. And I think what it comes down to for me mentally and spiritually, like my sense of self-worth, my sense of identity is that if we look at social media as a way to chase attention, approval, and significance, and we tie our identity and our ego in our sense of attention, approval, and significance, when those things get taken away... It's like, what does that do to our inner state? You know what I mean? Like, for people that have millions of followers on TikTok, and let's say it does crash and burn in the next month or 45 days, whatever it is, what's that going to do to a person mentally? What's that going to do to their emotional state? And to me, the ongoing, I guess, challenge or opportunity is how can I continue to put out content, but not be attached to the outcome and not be attached to how I perceive myself based on my success or lack of success? You know, because if we don't do that inner work, I think for me at least, then I'm on a constant fucking hamster wheel and roller coaster of they love me. They love me. I must be worth something because look at my numbers. Look at my numbers. Look at my numbers. I'm worth something. Everyone look, look, look. And it's it's such a constant feeding of our ego and our sense of self. And also, you know, on some level, hijacking our brain chemistry with all this stuff.
1: I guess, you know, it used to be where you like if you got how much money you made, which is still obviously a thing. It's a litmus test. But Well, a lot of these people that are on TikTok and they get millions and millions of views and traffic, they're theoretically making no money and that's okay for them because the value is, like you said, the ego and you could kind of see it in real world and show people where is you maybe you can't run around and go, "Look, look at my bank statement, look at my bank statement, you know, and you can buy things with that money. And then that shows that you have a nice car. It's this kind of like, it's just like, I feel like a different wheel where people will, you're working for free on TikTok. doesn't matter how famous you are. You work, there is no way to make money. On TikTok with just playing, you know what I mean? Everyone's been asking about that. And people are fine with that. I'm myself one of them. And I think that's just a different, a different kind of cur- almost like just different kinds of currency or something. It's like a different roller coaster or a different hamster wheel. I don't know.
0: Like feeding you in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to chat with you about, Jason, is Horton, and both of you actually, because we've all been through this process is the book writing side of things. And it's kind of interesting when you talk about monetization, how as content creators, there is like this constant thought process of, well, how do I monetize this? Do I monetize it through ads? Do I monetize it through sponsors or affiliates or merchandise? And we've all kind of experimented with different elements of that. And book writing is one of those avenues you could take. So did your book come out of a, a passion project? Or was it frankly, part of monetization avenue for you? And how did that whole process get developed? How long did you work on the book before it came out? And the title, by the way, Abandoned in Historic Los Angeles. We'll link to that along with any reference we made during the show. We're there are a lot, but those will everything we've talked about today will be linked on our website at wellevator.com, which is spelled dot rcom If you want to Remember everything, find everything we've discussed today. You can find it there in our show notes. So tell us the story of how this book came to be and why did you decide to write it?
1: Well, as an author, (laughs) it's literally just so I could say that. So I could just start every sentence. Like, listen, I'm talking to you as an author, not a friend. So that's really the only reason. So how it came to be is because of Ghost Town, the podcast, which... Very early on, found a lot of success very quickly and got a lot of attention very early on very quickly and really spoiled me. And full disclosure, we have not been able to live up to it since then. You know, we had got a really big agent from it, like a top three agent, which I guess we technically still have in theory. And we got a TV development deal based on the podcast and... Had, you know, of course, all the things that happen that don't happen. But just the idea of people caring that much was very exciting. And I, you know, from the world of YouTube, like people put out books and something, there's just something about books that is so old school. When I saw like people had a book, I was like, that's so impressive. Like that's all those pages with those words and pictures and a printing press made them. And in school, we read. It. We had books and you, you got to read, what books are you reading? Are you reading any books? Book of the month club. And in an old school way, I was like, I want to check off a bucket list. I want to have a book published. And that was it. It's, I wanted it to happen. And in fact, in one of those meetings with the agents, I said, I wanted to, you know, well, we wanted to make a book. And they were like, that's great. It'll be easier actually for you to get the TV show than the book. And I found that so strange. And I was like, what? How is that possible? And in my mind, I was like, I'm, I'm getting a book published and that's it. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how it works. I don't know how to read. So I'm kind of like, don't know what's <laughs> going on, but I just wanted to have a book published. And, you know, you remember seeing like, you know, and they still do like influencers and YouTubers writing books and- Those are always hit or miss, but
0: like Shane Dawson or Grace Helping, I immediately think of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And just, you know, a lot of, and sometimes, you know, their cookbooks or their makeup guides. I mean, you know, of course, some of them is kind of like, listen, I'm 22. I'm about to give you some life lessons, even though I haven't, even though my pretty much most of my experience has just been making YouTube videos. Let me give you some advice. But you can be 15 years old and live a thousand lifetimes, and you can live to be 700 years old and never lived one. So I get that it's not a matter of an age thing, but sometimes it is. I was like, I don't want dating advice from somebody who's only dated the person they met in high school and it's the only person they dated. completely, completely. You know what I mean? That's like, for example, Mark Maron is. I really gravitated to him really later on. I was really apprehensive because of the comedy scene and just the vibe I got from him from the comedy scene, and I was like, ah. Eh. But the fact that he was older than me and had a second start at like in his mid forties. Like he, that's when he started his podcast. And the fact that he felt like he was at the bottom and then that he kind of re in this thing was, I mean, I'm very using the word inspired is like kind of limited for me, but I was so inspired by him because it was somebody that was around my age kind of going through the same thing I was going through. Cause like 2017 was like, it was kind of like rough for me or whatever. And at that time, it was like the perfect time for me to take that in. And that's somebody that I got, got very invested in. And not even the you know, people he was talking to was great, but I was really invested in him, the people that most people are like, "I skip your personal stuff." I was like, "No, I want to hear the personal stuff, because I want somebody talking about being 45 years old talking about feeling like starting again, because I'm that age. you know, at that time I was that age. I'm 70 right now, so it's been a while. But I look great. <laughs> I'm gorgeous. I'm a g- gorgeous seven year old. And that's somebody I bought his book. And that was one of those things was like, Oh, that's how you get someone to buy a book. Uh, that's how you get someone to buy merchandise. When I mentioned that previous, that was the example. But when you have all these other people kind of giving you like this advice, like a rich person to tell me how to not be poor and you've never been poor. I don't know. It's just there's something about that I find very.
0: Us too, yeah. What is
1: it? It's like inspiration porn, people call it, you know, like these (laughs) completely. And I was like, this is like, or like tragedy porn where it's like this thing. And you know, a lot of these people, like, I I don't know much about him. He seems like a great guy. People love him. I'm sure he's great. But like somebody like Gary Vee, right? And it's just a lot of this kind of circular talk, even though he's saying probably a ton of things and he's successful in his own right. But people love Tony Robbins, which is, listen, that's great. but. I feel like those things wear off when it's like you know you live your potential and do three things a day for yourself, and that's you get high from that from a couple of days, and this is some, I'm really into like uh kind of cultish culture, but the idea of like what they were finding is people that go to these seminars or like get this information. it's great for that day and the day after, but by day three they start to wind down and they lose it again.
0: for sure so I
1: mean this is totally off the subject, but it's those kind of things that I always found in like books and and stuff like that. And I I really never really got much out of them. But to be fair, I didn't read a lot of them. But I wanted to be one of those people that put out a book. I didn't know what. I started doing personal like essays about my life. So I was like, well, I'm in my mid-40s. But then the fact that people were interested in the podcast, so a publisher reached out based on the podcast and was like, hey, do you want to do a ghost town book? And I talked to my co-host, Rebecca, and we were like, you know what? We didn't feel like it was, this was going to be the best place for us to do this. But I was like, hey, listen, I'm particularly very interested in a very specific thing. I can do a book on that. And it happened, you know, they have these different publishers, different like categories or whatever. And they're like, this fits this thing. So I wrote a treatment, which I was like, I don't know what that is. Mm, I don't know what that is, but I'm pretty, I'm always been pretty good at like selling myself and knowing what I'm enthusiastic about and which I think is a key to people ask like, why are podcasts successful? I believe it's the enthusiasm, the information and the enthusiasm and chemistry and, and all that. And, you know, you guys have that, but you would, you have maybe had that if you met yesterday, it's the investment you made over the years working together. And the same with the ghost town, people are like, why is your chemistry so good or whatever? It's like, well, we've been working and writing together and perform together for like 10 plus years. You can't, manufacture that in a day or a week or a month. So those are those things that you, you are, that are happening behind the scenes that make things successful, but with the book, I was just like I'm very interested in this. Like I'm going to be interested in this whether I have a book or not. And I think that's what makes it less like work, but it is really becomes sort of like work. And I just took I love Los Angeles. I love the history of it. And, and, you know, people are like, LA doesn't have any culture and it drives me up the wall, the, the kind of elitist kind of attitude about it. And for me, it was like, I wanted to take all the things as much as I could that I, I was, that it was historic, that was abandoned and gritty and, and kind of vintage, which I love, you know, I love neon. And then I was like, yeah, I can write about LA, but I was like, I don't want to hear from myself for all the pages that or the words I need. So I found, reached out to people. It was really supposed to be just musicians, but I just reached out to, you know, I guess you want to call them like celebrity types and was like, hey, listen, you know, I think you're great. And I've reached out to a lot of people and some don't reply, some say no, some say yes and there's no but it, follow up, but it's understanding because they're probably like, well, what do you want? And I'm like, just know what I want and give it to me, which is part of my problem when I work on stuff. And I have their essays, my essays and it's just all in a celebration of Los Angeles and people like coffee table books, they like photo books, they like travel and they like hearing stories. So I I was like if I put that all together in a nice little book, I feel like it'll be interesting enough for me to suggest somebody to pick it up or purchase it or, or read it or whatever the case may be. And over the last, you know, year and a half with no experience with it, I kind of made that happen, but that's only from the generosity of other people who had no idea what it was going to be. There's no end result. In my mind I knew the end result. I had the book was finished in my head and I just worked backwards and it changed a little bit, but that's what I did. But I was like, oh, just know what's in my head. And I found a lot of great photographers, which is easy to find, you know, online. You know, people that are already enthusiastic and putting this stuff out for free. And and then reaching out to some people that maybe I had on the podcast previous or different people or people that I'm kind of like, I oh, don't reach out to this person, see what they say, and then get their anecdotes and what they love about Los Angeles. It's very easy to talk about how shitty Los Angeles can be, especially now in a sense. But I just was like, I wanted to just celebrate. Because when the book started, it was not in the climate we're in right now. And I'm still sticking by LA, even though I've been a little disappointed in it lately. but. I have faith in the people and communities and stuff like that. So I'm just confident enough to say that the books, if people ask like, what's the last book you read? You can say this one. It'll be very easy because there's like not a lot of words. So you can seem really (laughs) smart. Is it a
0: picture (laughs) book?
1: (laughs) It's a lot of photos and essays. So it's 96 pages. That's just the format they had for it. And I couldn't fit everything I wanted, but there wasn't that much more to fit. I could do a part two very easily, like there's, so easily. Well, it
0: on two. malls, that's your part two is the malls.
1: Part two has actually already been proposed and is already happening.
0: All right. Well, then part three better be the malls. It's
1: going to be part 19 because I'm doing fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you're like- I'm doing
1: TikToker fan fiction.
0: <laughs> you are serious about being a published author. And it's funny you bring up your feelings about Los Angeles, because I feel like Jason Robel can really chime in on this part.
2: Yeah. Boy, oh boy. How do I even begin? LA's been really good to me. And I've been here almost 14 years and spent a lot of time here as a kid because my dad was acting and doing some drug deals and things like that. He was very successful. But uh, yeah, I feel like, I don't know, man, this um, this year in particular has kind of turned me in a direction of like, I think I'm ready to leave I think I'm ready to leave LA and I, that that might sound weird because I have so many wonderful friends here and so many great connections and it has been good to me over the last almost 14 years. But I think by virtue of not blaming LA, because that feels shitty and reductive and not fair, but I've been a big city guy my whole life. I feel like I've just spent so much time indoors this year for obvious reasons that I'm craving a lot more nature. And so I don't know if that means I'm going to like move to Big Bear or Ojai or, you know, find a ranch or I don't know what the hell's going to happen. But yeah, it's not really like I hate LA. It's just more like I think I'm done with city life. Like after 43 years of like city to city to city, you know, Detroit, Chicago, LA, New York, London, blah, blah. I'm kind of just burnt on city. And it just so happens that I'm in LA, which is a city.
1: I think the fact that, you know, been here 14 years is number 1 it's a huge success because a lot of people don't hack it that long and and if they do like they don't find a lot of experience and enrichment and also it's interesting because it's like the like what we're doing right now we don't need to be in LA to do it at all like we could do it anywhere and i think that's what's kind of great about you know technology and what we do and it's the probably one of the toughest, I mean, any city is a tough city to be in. It's super competitive and it's got a lot of problems. I'm also like with the nature and stuff like that. Like I'm been very, I'm not like, you know, I'm born in New Jersey, grew up in New York and went to San Diego in here. So what do I know about nature? But are some things I think I, you know, cause we're around the same age. You're about 70, right? We're kind of like maybe at a point where you get a little bit older. It's like, yeah, maybe I want to go like, I don't know, like, you can go to the woods or go camping or totally. like these things. I think that's just being like a human being that knows that there's a world out there and we're not too successful or too consumed with anything that we can't see the bigger picture, which I think is a great place to be where somebody else might be like, listen, I- I'm on a roll, I'm on a tear. I have time for a family later. I-, I got time for friends later. I got time for balance later. And for better or for worse, where those people end up maybe with nothing, maybe with everything, maybe they find that balance. But I think for us that have the kind of the luxury where we can – I mean, you the—you can stay here if you want to, and then you also have the luxury to do something else, whereas some people feel, I got to be here. If I'm not here, I'm not making it. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself too, especially when you kind of like, you know, you grow up and you, you kind of start to know things. But I also have my in-laws live here too, which gives me a little – the rest of my family is in New York and New Jersey. But I also have like a family here, I guess you can call it. And that to me reinforces kind of for the most part grew up in the valley. So there's this, I feel like I'm kind of reinforced by that, which solidifies that for me. And there's really nowhere else I'd rather go. But if something else took, I mean, London would be great. I mean, I love Europe. Go there all, you know what I mean? I think that's okay. I think it's when people are like, this place sucks anyway, you know, like, yeah I wasn't like, yeah, I didn't give it my all, and it didn't give me anything back, but also it's like I'm only leaving because it sucks, and I'm gonna go, you know wherever. I think that's different where some people are like TikTok, it's like, I don't get it. It's not going to do anything for me, so it's bad. Anyone who uses it's bad, I think is a different story, you know, but maybe the book will help. <laughs> I mean, yep. it- you know what? 20 copies of the book? <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like I subscribe, you know, to, you know, prescribe twenty copies of the book and some ghost town merchandise. I think might be what is perfect synergy for you right now. Just I didn't re- realize you were a,
0: you were a doctor too, Jason Horton. You are certainly yeah, I'm a doctor of rock and roll. You didn't know that,
1: <laughs> doctor feel good and a doc yeah and a doctor of love.
2: So yeah, I think it's a city that you live in or a town or wherever the listener or any of us. It's a relationship like any other, you know, and I, and I feel like with LA, I feel like there's a characterization of almost like, yeah, we've been together 14 years and it's been good. and It's been really good. And I feel like we've both benefited a lot from this, but I feel like mm, we're reaching the tail end of something. And there's been a part of me that's like, no, I need to rekindle the flame and I need to find, you know, new parts of LA. Like one thing that I've been doing during the whole, whatever, COVID situation, like I would take my motorcycle out and especially like say on a Sunday, you know, where there's very little traffic and I can kind of weave around the city in this weird dystopian, like no one's on the street. It's just me and my motorcycle and my dog and kidding, the dog's not involved. I still need to get a sidecar for her. But it's been like this, wow, I'm kind of falling in love with LA maybe, but maybe not because it's a little bit of a dystopian weirdness here. But I guess my whole point is like, I tried to rekindle my love for LA, almost like a relationship that might be nearing its end. And I don't know that I've been able to do it successfully. It still feels to me like, mm, I think we might be at the tail end of this thing, LA. Like, I, I love you. It's not for lack of love. It's just, I feel like we're on the tail end of it. And I don't know that it's going to be rekindled. I think I'm okay with that. I think it might be time for me to go somewhere new and explore. And then maybe, you know, that, you know, being away from it, you might appreciate it even more
1: being out of it that you don't have to deal with. I, I mean, it can only, I can only imagine it. And plus, I feel like you can still do LA business in other places, for sure. Obviously. I mean, For obviously sure. that's a true thing.
2: And so is, is um Denver. You're going to Denver. It's funny. Like we did a huge road trip because going back to the Fiesta movement reference at the beginning, but Whitney and I did a really killer road trip last fall, early fall through. It was Utah. last August.
0: Almost was a year ago.
2: Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, we did a killer road trip. As of the
0: time, we're recording this, but in case the the listener has not figured it out yet, we are not recording in October when this episode comes out.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Colorado's gorgeous. Utah's gorgeous. Parts of Nevada. But my, what I really fell in love with, I did a, a speaking appearance last November in Washington and Oregon. And I got to say, like the, there there's something about the Pacific Northwest that is just, I like the climate. I like the mountains. I like how the air quality. I like I don't know, yeah, well, Oregon and Washington really kind of like grabbed my attention. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to investigate this." So, I actually want to go back and kind of get a lay of the land with real estate and get a deeper sense of it, but I don't know. It could be that I go and I regret it and go I miss LA. Who the hell knows? But the Pacific Northwest man, there's something really cool about that part of the country that I like. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad. I think, you know, I think that's a great
1: place to probably I'm very interested in checking it out myself. I get a little bummed out when people like go and I can tell they don't want to leave and they have to go back to their hometown, which is nothing wrong with their hometown. Their hometown might be great. is like, I just a, always like kind of a huge bummer, but yeah. I know I, I see that and I just, I get really sad because I, trust me, I've always thought like, how far away am I from like being homeless or, and that's my own kind of negative kind of thoughts. But you know, sometimes when times are tough, you don't know what to do and it's, on, but I don't mention it online because that's you know, the last thing I want to do is show how vulnerable I am. I mean, it, I don't know, like let's go there so I can maybe I'll do a book on there and capitalize on um, the Pacific Northwest.
0: I was thinking the same thing. I how mean, much think... money
1: can I make from the Pacific Northwest now is all I'm thinking about.
0: <laughs> and, you know, I was also hoping, though, all this talk about Los Angeles and your book and all this talk about TikTok, maybe you'll like convince Jason to stay in Los Angeles and join TikTok and join our side of this content creator LA life. Imagine TikTok
1: is your motorcycle and your helmet is Studio City. And there you go. <laughs> like, just think of it that way and just kind of shake things up a little bit. Oh, I don't know.
2: What the hell? That's funny. I don't know. It's just a weird time for me. And I feel like it's probably entering my Mark Marin mid 40s. I don't even want to characterize it like a midlife crisis. That's just too pedantic and negative. But but I can definitely feel like I'm in my early to mid 40s now and there's a lot changing. And rather than looking at it like a negative thing of like, oh, you know, you, you're changing your priorities, your values are changing, but they are. What I find important and compelling and where I want to spend my time is changing. And rather than lament the past or hope for days gone by, as you know, we kind of have been talking about the peak of our YouTube days. I don't know that I miss it necessarily, but I'm curious to see where things are going to shift for me. because. I do feel as I get older, things, priorities, values are changing for me. It's not a bad thing, necessarily.
1: Yeah, I think people feel, you know, they are kind of feel beholden to like, I got to be here, I got to keep trying to audition, or I got to keep trying to make my podcast big, or my YouTube channel big, or try to be my writing career. And it's really, people are just really hard on themselves. Even people that are successful in any way are really hard on themselves. It's, It's really not fair, but I guess if everyone... Moved, moved to LA, stayed in LA, it'd be a lot more crowded. So I guess it's kind of a way to kind of keep things like harmonious, I guess.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And the same thing is true with social media. You know, if everybody stayed on on YouTube, there would be no one on TikTok, perhaps, or it's constantly shifting because as we we were kind of like on the, the level of like the old school TikTokers. I mean, a lot of the people that each of us knew and did collaborations with, like they were kind of OGs. And now there's like a whole new reign of, of different YouTubers on there and the culture is constantly changing. And the same thing will happen with TikTok. It's happened with Facebook and Instagram. And it's just like where you live. It's a fluid process of evolution. And it's so interesting to check in with people like you, Jason Horton, specifically, because it's like we all kind of have similar nostalgia in that sense of how things have shifted online and how life changes living in Los Angeles and all the different experiences that each of us have had. And we're just so grateful to have you part of this dialogue about all of those things. And, you know, I know you've tried your hardest not to be vulnerable, but I think that you have a little bit and I don't want to call you out on it and make you uncomfortable. But then we wouldn't be fulfilling the title of the show, which is all about getting uncomfortable and if you did get uncomfortable, I, I'm kind of glad to, to know that.
1: I mean, normally I save my vulnerability and uncomfortability for a paywall behind a paywall so I can make some oh, cash off of it. But
0: this is a That's freebie. actually a good tactic. Yeah. We gave people like a little peek Jeez. into it. Ooh. Which paywall do you like to use for your vulnerability? OnlyFans? Uh,
1: you know, what? I go old school. I just do Pornhub. That's where all my other stuff is <laughs> that I'm trying out. My experimentation is... That's where you can get my book, by the way, is on porn. Hey, listen, oh, no. if I could sell my book, I would be happy to... I'm open and whatever, I'm happy to do it. But really, a lot of it, all these things, it's like you go where people are trying to... The true crime and history and things that are could be a little bit older. Facebook is really a great place for that. It's just a very... Vibrant culture on there. So, like right now, I'm really working on building up the fan page for Ghost Town. I mean, it's gone up 72,000% or something. Yeah, I've been really on Facebook. Yeah. But there was really not much going on. So, really anything is good. But, you know, when it's like when I want to promote a book, that'll be a great place to do it. But you just kind of have to go where if I had, you want to see my belly dancing tutorials, TikTok might be a better place for that. I don't know. I'm just, Picking something. So
0: you're actually kind of following Gary Vee's advice, which is to be everywhere. And, or at least that was his old school advice. I don't know if he still says that, but you know, you're doing a good job at diversifying your content and spreading it across the internet. And I, I think that's wonderful if it nourishes you. It, it, it clearly doesn't nourish Jason Robell to be on all these different platforms as it does for you and me, Jason. I'm actually really into uh, Pinterest these days, speaking of. Looking at metrics, it's been very satisfying to experiment there. Have you do you use Pinterest much?
1: I go through phases, but at one point I had like 2.5 million impressions a month on
0: Pinterest. Wow, that's legit. I'm hoping for that day, <laughs> but you
1: know, I haven't kept up on it. It's not there now, but I do get a decent amount of traffic. But things I go through phases. It's like I have a bunch of different relationships. And it's like, ooh, yeah. this week, I'm all about you, Pinterest, baby. And it's just like, ooh, Facebook. Remember when we used to hook up? I'm, I'm <laughs> hot for you again. It is literally, it's really a flavor of the week. For me, what gets me kind of excited. And like, again, Pinterest does generate a lot of traffic, but I just don't feel like doing anything right now. And I will a little bit just to kind of, you feel like you have to, you know, you feel like you yeah. have to do is a little bit of something. But yeah, like I, mean, I try to be everywhere, but you can't be a hundred percent everywhere even if you have a team of people helping you, because it's not you you know and if you're like yep. hey uh yep. post these things pick one of these things and then write up something it's not even though it's your account it's not you and i think what makes it really special is when you're actually i heard this thing from this krishna person all right that i was listening to and i'm not you know religious or whatever but he talked may say something interesting about and You guys are food people. You probably appreciate this better than me who eats things out of a microwave or a garbage can sometimes when I'm like, I threw this out, not eat it. Well, you know what? It's on the top of the garbage can. I'm going to eat it anyway because I'm disgusting. But (laughs) for you food people who care, there's when they talk, food that's made with love and then You eat that food that is made with love, it fills you with something other than things that are made like fast food or in a microwave in a bag and you shove it in the microwave and you press the button and you yank it open and you shove it in your mouth because you're in a rush is different than food that is made with love and you eating that food is made with love nourishes you with love and health and vibrancy. And these are things you already know. But When I heard that, I was like, oh yeah, that is so interesting that- it's something I never really, you know, a home-cooked meal, it's made with love, are things that I just thought were like to sell you on something. But I didn't realize that if you boil it down, that's a really kind of interesting thing. And I feel like your social media accounts, when I'm uploading it myself, I'm in some way doing it with love. But if I'm using some like, you know, you use an automated thing, which is totally fine because it's hard to do all this work. It's not really made with love. I don't know. There's just something, a synergy between a different piece of content or customized The same content, but customized for each different account, and you're uploading it yourself, that hands-on thing is the way I've always kind of done things. And I feel like I had that connection. And for me, I feel like sometimes that's why it works.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think Jason Robel has the same philosophy, but he's just been so burnt out. (laughs) It's not worth it.
2: Yeah, I think what you hit on, Jason, is right on for me, because I feel like if I can't put I don't want to say my all. That's a little cliche, but love, it's great. It, you hit it on the head. Like, if I'm not invested emotionally and I'm not putting love into a video, I'd rather not do a video at all. Cause I know that it will come across on camera that I kind of don't give a shit or my heart's not in it. And if my heart's not in it, I would rather do nothing at all. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I've been like the same way because people would ask me, like, oh, why aren't you
1: doing this or that? And I was like, I think I also was very conditioned to say yes to everything. Because I felt like either I was missing out or nobody was asking me to do things, especially like very early on, like pre-YouTube, like I felt like I was conditioned to feel like if I didn't ask somebody to do something, no one would want to do it with me. And then I got to a point where people did ask me and then I was just compelled to say yes to everything because I didn't want to miss out. I wanted to scratch every lottery ticket, whatever the case may be. And then I got to a point where I was just like, no, I don't want to do it. Like I don't. There's things that have been like actually kind of decent where I was like, I don't feel like doing it. I don't care how much it pays. I mean, I do care how much it pays. But it was a thing where maybe five years ago, I would have said yes, but I was just like, I'm too tired. I get more joy out of doing something else. And what does it really all mean for an extra $500 or $200? And when I could be doing something else, and then I keep my balance and sanity, and then I can continue to work and produce and put things out like on a more evenly keeled basis.
2: It kind of reminds of the conversation we had, Whitney, in a previous episode about this very thing of boundaries and and saying yes and no to things and and that yes beyond money, which grants us freedom and access and food and the the essentials to to live in our societal structure, it just become really really clear to me that if I'm not excited about something or can't find joy in it or it doesn't light me up in a certain way, that if I do say yes to it, Jason, that I know that I won't be proud of the end result, right? Even if I get paid for it. There's a level of integrity beyond it, I think, as a creator and an artist that's like, oh, yeah, I got paid X amount of money for this thing. If I look at that piece of content and I'm like, man, I phoned it in or I faked it or I whatever did it for the camera. I feel kind of awful about what I've put out because I knew that I wasn't able to put my heart and my true spirit into it. And so then the money in a way, it's not that it's irrelevant, but it's like, I'll never feel good about that piece of content knowing that I phoned it in.
1: And even though maybe other people can't see it, you can see, like, you can look in your own eyes and be like, oh, like I'm checked out emotionally. I can see that. For sure. And you could fake it. I think people are pretty good at seeing those things, but it might be just something really little where you can look at it and be like, I know, even though, listen, it it did the job, it's fine. People aren't looking at it the same way I'm looking at it, but you look at it and you know you can look into that. And also it's like, I think, I mean, I don't want to blame it on getting older, I get tired, you know, it's like my, <laughs> I don't know if my, my brain is too old and not supple enough to absorb any more technology or information or what I need to do. But I think it's also just sometimes I think I was like, you know, I just want to go look at some trees, redwoods or something, <laughs> you know, I want to like, I don't want to chop some wood. I don't, like I, I, I've been like sanding and painting chairs, you know, like a midlife, you know, my midlife crisis stuff. So I've been doing a lot of that and just kind of like zenning out with that. Whereas maybe in 2013, 2015, it's like I'm gonna stand up stupid chair. I was gonna buy one at IKEA. Stupid. <laughs> I was like, I gotta go to Bonnaroo, you know. But now I feel like I don't know. I feel like I'm just like kind of old and, and tired. And sometimes I have a ton of energy, and sometimes I don't have any. And sometimes the things that I love doing, I just don't. I love it, but I don't feel like doing it right now. And Maybe I'm just gonna give myself a break, and maybe in that, I'm finding, hoping I'm finding the balance and, and sanity to be able to continuously do this for longer instead of being like, I forget, I'm out of here. I'm going to just live in a cabin. And I think that might be what happens
2: to some people. I don't know. It's interesting because I've actually been looking at cabins on Zillow all weekend, been looking at cabins. There is a part of me that's like, this also brings up a little bit of an offshoot of an introvert-extrovert conversation. We, we actually had a, a previous podcast with a friend of ours, Monica Schrock. We'll link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And I'm curious, Jason, for you uh, and Whitney, of course, chime in. I already know your perspective, but maybe Jason doesn't know this, you know, the aspects about you, but the introversion, extroversion kind of conversation, where do you find yourself on the spectrum, Jason, in terms of being an artist, a creator, but also like you said, zenning out, kind of refurbishing these chairs, you know, what's your energetic balance with putting yourself out as an, maybe some people would perceive you as an extrovert, but are you
1: no, I, I've i become, especially the last couple of years, and I think that was just for the lack of balance I've had and lack of a lot of different things, but I became very much a hermit where I wouldn't, like I'd go to work and then I, I wouldn't hang out with anybody. I wouldn't make anything. I wouldn't do anything. And then I got very easily caught in that rut of, essentially what we're going through right now is what I was doing very voluntarily. And for me, it was it was just very easy for me where it was easy for me to say yes, it was easy for me to say no. And it was very, it's very easy not to leave the house or to not do something. Whereas before it was like, oh, it's so hard for me to say no, I just you know want to say yes. It really changed. I think that whatever I was lacking really caught up to me. But yeah, I think I've become a little bit of where I don't necessarily need, like if I'm not there, I'm missing out on something. And I've kind of tried to learn to let that go, but also allow myself to not take the easy road. And I was doing stand-up up until couple months ago I was doing a lot of stand up and one of the things I kind of mentioned was like like how do you make friends? How do you make guy friends to hang out with? Like I don't know how you do that. And literally anybody in the audience can be my one of my five closest friends easily because I didn't have any. Like and it was like that idea of like I don't know like how to do that, you know, as you get older and it's just like a lot of those things. And yeah, I mean if I have to be like I'll be I'll talk forever about anything to anyone. But then there's just some times where I was just like I don't want to be bothered, and I'm, I guess fortunately I'm not successful or in demand enough where I need to be forced out too much. I guess is one of the benefits, or I'm not getting dragged online or you know stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I would say I'm more of like kind of an introvert physically, but I'm an open book extrovert like information wise.
0: That sounds a lot like me as well. I can relate to that. I identify as an introvert and I think sometimes it it kind of gives me a, an out or an, a way to explain when I feel low energy because similar to what you were saying, I also have been observing my energy and, and this is something we talk a lot about on the show of just like what drains me and what gives me energy and what helps me motivate and like, do I need to take a break and finding all that balance is like a continuous search. And who knows, maybe it is a process of getting older, but we're also living in such odd circumstances that there's just a lot to deal with mentally that we're not used to. And then, of course, with all of us being content creators, I think coming back to this like existential crisis or like the search for identity and trying not to be too in our ego and figuring out why we're doing something, what our motivations are. And it's an ongoing search for trying to understand like what makes us feel good and what's important to us, you know?
1: I found just a tiny positive spin on, which is kind of hard to do about what's going on right now, and there's not really much positive about it. But I found that it has inadvertently leveled the playing field for everybody, whether you're the biggest movie star on earth or whether you're me. Everyone's kind of forced to just be with and in themselves and think it's worth it for all the other negative things that are happening out there and the struggles and the situations. But right now, how we feel is probably how a huge celebrity feels because who are they without making their multi-million dollar movie? That's why they make their dumb videos and they think it's helpful, like singing Imagine or some dumb <laughs> thing because they're probably like, like, I don't know who am I if I'm not a celebrity. It's a human thing. It's not like, Bad people and nothing against them, good, fine people. But it's this thing where, you know, for them, it's like, well, if I'm not making a movie or promoting a movie or being interviewed for a movie or an album or whatever, and plus, you know, there's financial struggles. And it's an interesting thing that, like, you're in the same place I'm in, which very probably rarely happens. And it's kind of forced me to, I kind of felt good about not feeling like I had to do things. Like, I was always like, Got to do stand up comedy at least once or twice a week, or I'm not doing comedy. And I don't know, these things have been for me a little bit helpful at times, but also I have all the time in the world to do things. And sometimes I'm just like so fatigued and like kind of emotionally drained of how what the world outside is like that it's hard for me to like, I was like, who cares about this stupid thing you're going to do? The world's crumbling around you, or people are suffering, and like, why? But then sometimes I'm like, I'm like high on what I'm doing. I'm like, I love this. And intense. so it's like a lot of real, real highs and lows that I'm trying to even out, I think are evening out when everything's so uncertain. I can't even define what I'm doing or who I am right now. I can't define it because I don't know what the landscape's going to be one month, two months, six months, a year, whatever, two years, five years. So it's kind of a weird, interesting place that I, that I both sort of found comfort in, but also on the flip side, lose a lot of comfort.
2: Yeah, maybe this time is like, no, no, it's a great take. It's, it's almost like all this externality and titles and awards and accolades and just all this external labeling. If it's, if it's kind of stripping away this false sense of identity for us, which it does seem like for a lot of people that playing field is pretty even right now, it's almost like the question without the titles, the labels, the awards, the money, the adulation, the celebrity, who are you without all that stuff? And maybe for some people, they've never been able to answer that question. Or maybe people come from somewhat humble beginnings and they get all this massive, crazy success and they forgot what those humble beginnings were like. So I feel like this whole thing is just such an interesting opportunity for us to kind of strip away the layers of all that and get to the core of maybe what really matters and acknowledging that that changes and that evolves and that shifts as we go on. And and there ain't nothing wrong with it. So on that note, as we hurtle toward the end, we've kept you for almost two hours, Jason. You're a champ, man. Thanks for- Only six more left, but I'm, I'm, six, I'm in it for the long haul. This is a Joe Rogan podcast? Yeah. What is this? What is this? But Jason, it's been great to reconnect, man. It had been a few years since you and I had uh, chopped it up. So thanks for going deep with us and, and sharing your brand new book. For anyone who wants to dive into the Ghost Town podcast, Jason's new book, any of his amazing endeavors, we, again, are going to link to all of those resources in the show notes at wellevator.com. You can click on the podcast section and get
0: all those goodies. And that just reminded me the last time I think I saw you in person, Jason. It's funny because we have run into each other in so many random like content creator (laughs) experiences uh, like at YouTube Space. But the last time I think I saw you in person was when we went to the Friends pop-up at Coffee Bean. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which was about a year ago. I know it was like... It was uh, summer or fall two thousand nineteen and we got invited to go uh do some photos at <laughs> at the Friends pop up and we did that little like um time lapse or like something and we were talking about TikTok back then. That was right before I started using TikTok.
1: Oh yeah, I was really pushing it back. I was just seeing how many like cookies I can shove in my mouth. Like But you know, actually a photo that I posted coffee bean use that photo from my Instagram on their social media. Wow. Which is You made it
0: big. Yeah. And and guess what? Hmm.
1: They got it for free. So consider (laughs) it a donation. (laughs) But you know what? For a little example, that's an example where somebody might look at that and be like, wow, this guy must be pretty important for this company to use this. Maybe we want to work with him. It's bullshit. You know what I mean? Like to know what's going on behind it. I wasn't even invited to that thing. I went as a guest. Neither was I. Same. Me too who would know these are examples of how manufactured things are and that's okay it's it's totally okay but it's just the idea of like the perception of what who you are and what you are and even when i look at people i was like wow they must they have to be happy their movie comes out tomorrow they have to be happy right. there's no way that they're not happy because i know i would be very happy but you don't know and somebody might be looking at me or us driving around our fours be like they have to be happy and you know what i was because that was the best time it, of our the life. The gas was free, so it was yeah. uh, <laughs> I actually was happy.
0: Yep, and then they might look at you with your new published book and say, "Wow, that guy's a published author. He must be happy."
1: Well, they'll know because I will say as an author and deliver my information, so they will <laughs> know it. They will right off the know. bat. So yeah. yeah, they'll 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 know.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, gosh, I mean, we could. There's so many uh, little nooks and crannies of this world that we can continue to explore, but for now we will wrap here, and we are just grateful to to discuss all the different elements of uh, what it means to be a content creator and published authors, most importantly in this world.
1: Thank you for giving me an opportunity to promote myself.
0: Yeah, beyond hey bud on uh, TikTok, you know you got
1: yeah, just uh, you gave me the opportunity to really open up to promote all my links. So, yes, it's been well they will all great. be linked.
0: We will be linking quite a lot in our show notes. No, I'm actually and- glad
1: to talk to people like <laughs> actually have like a conversation about people and actually start thinking like, "Oh yeah, I want to get I've been thinking about getting my motorcycle license for like the last year and a half and then Jason talked about riding a motorcycle and now I'm thinking again. I was like, I got to get my motorcycle license." So, it's making me like having conversations with humans. Yep outside of like whatever has been really probably was probably been good for me
0: that's great well I'm, I'm sure it goes both ways you know you guys both being comedians I was just thinking like you guys should hang out so this is me like trying to make some friends
2: yeah bromance and and also I need a riding buddy Jason so I'm just gonna like keep inching you toward that motorcycle license so I have a new friend to ride with well so. I'll
0: be hitting
1: you up to find out like the ins and outs of getting my the course and stuff like that for so. sure happy to yeah man awesome